So 16 years ago, I was uh, standing in the middle of a main corridor in the uh, Oakwood Mall in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, holding and selling one of these bad boys. This is a Zoom copter, and I was finishing my senior year, my senior last semester. I went an extra semester just, you know, because I thought it would be fun, and my parents thought that was pretty fun too, and... And, uh, and so I was looking for something to do to pick up some extra cash while I started to study for finals. And, and uh, I was walking through the mall one day, and there was this mall kiosk. And at the kiosk, they were selling these, these amazing flying machines. And it said, help wanted. And I said, oh, I can do that. And so I somehow got a job there. And, uh, and, and the whole goal of the job was to fly these things in the mall, they're not ele- electronic or battery powered. They're all just human powered uh, with a little crank mechanism. You, the job was to, to fly one of these things and then sell them. And it was based on this marketing idea that people were more likely to buy something that they could see working than if it were just sitting in a package. And I, you know, thinking that I knew better, and gratefully I've outgrown that somewhat, but I thought I knew better. I'm, I'm going to test this theory and just see see how this works. And so I just stood there one day with, you know, with the package, just like this, just stood there holding the package, you know, kind of talking to people as they went by. I was that annoying mall kiosk guy. That's who I was. And, and uh, it was Black Friday, so there's people everywhere. And, and maybe it was a couple weeks before that, and so I was kind of gearing up for Black Friday. And sure enough, it was that I sold very few of them. And the manager of the kiosk was like, John, what's the deal? Like, your numbers are terrible. You know, and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, he's like, are you, are you flying the helicopter? And I was like, well, not exactly. And he's like, okay, that's, that's the job. You got to fly the helicopter, you know? I'm like, all right, I'll fly the helicopter. So, so I, I, my, the next portion of my, my testing of their marketing uh, strategy, I'm so glad that I'm brand new to this job and I think I know better than the marketing guys, you know? And uh, so I took it out of the package and I assembled it and I began to practice flying it. And, and when it worked, it, would, it, was, it was magical because I could send it out like 20 or 30 feet from me and it was like a boomerang and it would just kind of come, it would kind of bank and come back and I would just catch it in my hand. And so see, it works like this. This really freaked out the tech guys last night because they thought I was going to send it into the, I don't think I can send it out into the crowd, but see, if you just, you just would pull on it like this. <laughs> Who wants to buy one? Right? Oh my goodness. All right, so you just pull on it like this. And then it would fly into the lights and start on fire. So, <laughs> so anyway, it, uh, and so I would begin to fly these things. And it would fly out around and bank and come back. And I would catch it in my hand and people were amazed. And I was actually quite amazed as well because I could only do that about one out of every four attempts. And it was right in the middle of this corridor, right by the, the food court. And there was like a Dairy Queen, Orange Julius place over here. And like as I was practicing, I sprayed one into Dairy Queen and knocked over an Orange Julius. And the Dairy Queen guys were looking at me going, what are you doing, man? And, uh, you know, and it would get, get caught in people's hair. And, you know, mall management came out because I was dinging them off the sprinkler heads. And they were afraid I was going to open up the sprinkler system in the mall. And... And so it was a hot mess most of the time. But on the rare occasion that I could fly it the way it was meant to be flown, people would flock to the kiosk and buy these things by the armful. 
And, you know, grandmas especially, they would buy one for every grandkid they had. And I was like, yes! You know, and then the, mom, the manager was like, man, John, your numbers are way up. I'm like, it's all about the grandmas, man. If you fly it in front of the grandmas, they, they, they will buy like 20 of them. And, uh, and so in the marketplace, a strong testimonial is one of the strongest marketing tools that there is. And it connects the customer to something bigger. It connects, it, connects the customer to the mission behind the product. And so most of the time we're buying more than just a product. We're buying an idea. We're buying a solution. We're, we're trying to solve something. And in our lives and more specifically in our, in our faith and in our journey with God, our stories in our lives have the same effect. However, in, in God's kingdom, the strongest testimonies are not just the successes and wins. It's the journey behind the story that points people to the bigger truth, to the bigger purpose, and ultimately to the God who's writing the story. That is the strength of the testimony. And, and, and each of us sitting here today, if you're, if you're on the journey with God and you have a relationship with God, you can probably think back to when that journey began. And for most of us, it probably started with another person. It started with someone who entered into our life or was already in our life. Maybe it was a parent or a youth leader or, or a camp counselor or a teacher, or somebody in our life began to communicate God's story to us, probably through their own story. And that's because God normally calls people to himself using other human beings. God normally calls people to himself using other human beings. And most of us, when we look at our own stories, we probably have quite a bit of doubt as to whether or not we have the type of story that contains that much power. And similar to Facebook or Instagram or any of the other social mediums that we use, uh, we see everybody else's highlight reel and we see our blooper reel. So we don't really think that there's much in our story that is powerful enough to really impact another person's life. Sometimes we can look back and we can make perfect sense of how something came together and how our journey has kind of made sense but most of the time we look back and we see setback and we see pain. We see some, some successes and some wins along the way. But it doesn't seem to really string itself together as much as we think it should to contain the power that, that would have some kind of bigger, greater purpose. And we all think about this in one way or another. We all want to matter and yet we wonder where we find purpose in the midst of our own stories. And how that's supposed to connect to a, to a bigger story. Why am I here? How did I get here? What's my life about or going to be about? Kids and students, whether you know it or not, you're asking these questions too. We know that, that most kids and students are asking, do I have what it takes? Do I have friends? Who am I? Where do I belong? What should I believe? And even as we get older, we're still asking some of these core questions and then we add others on top of it that go something like this. Am I making a contribution to the world? Am I providing the right things for my family? Am I a good parent? Where do I have influence? Are the people and places and things around me better because I was here? And ultimately, will it matter that I spent time on this earth? These are these core questions inside of all of us that we're longing to find the answers for. And it's this longing to have a bigger purpose and to be a part of something that's bigger than just ourselves 
And the bottom line is that your story is essential to how you will tell God's story. Your story is essential to how God will tell his story through you. God has a lot to say about our purpose and where we find this fit in his story. And this is where our purpose and our identity come from, is really in his story and who he is. And it can be a confusing journey to get there. And we're going to spend some time on this this morning, drilling into this. And we're looking at th- this weekend, the Great Commission, as told by Matthew. And the Great Commission is a term that you, you may or may not have heard. And even if you've heard it, you may recognize it, but you may not really always connect it to what it actually is. And essentially, the Great Commission is the moment in God's story when Jesus instructs his disciples. He tells his disciples, and now us, today, what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it, where we're supposed to do it, and how it's even going to work. And the invitation that, and the command that we're going to look at today are the same to the disciples in this story as they are to you and I today. And so here's a couple quick things on Matthew. Matthew wrote one of the Gospels in the New Testament. There's four of those. And, and each of the Gospel writers, this is, this is pretty cool, but each of the Gospel writers, you may know, wrote about the time that they spent with Jesus. But they each wrote about it from a different perspective. And they're each giving us a different angle of what they saw and, and experienced. And they weren't really strategically trying to do that. They're doing it just like you and I would do. And if we went on any trip with a family or friends, we'd probably all take pictures of, of different things and look at things a little bit differently. And if you put those together, it would tell a really incredible story that's, that's bigger and, and more compelling than just as told by one person. And so Matthew, his, his purpose in the midst of it, he wants, he wants the readers to know He wants his audience to know that they are a part of something much bigger than just what's happening in the here and now. Matthew is writing about, he's trying to tell everybody, hey, this started a long time ago. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this bigger story. And right in the beginning of Matthew, the book of Matthew starts with this huge long list of names. Names, most of which we can't even pronounce. And if you try to read it, it's confusing and you're trying to figure out what what you're reading and why it matters. Well, to Matthew's original audience, this would have been a big deal because it's essentially a family tree that's pointing not only to the fact that Jesus is, is in the midst of that, but it's pointing to where he came from. And to his original audience, that was a big deal to understand where in, in, in that line Jesus came in and who came before. And even more importantly, Matthew was putting it in there because he wanted us to see, he wanted his audience then to see and us to see today that 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 this is something that started a long time ago. And there were things pointing specifically to Jesus being the guy that are found in that family tree. So let's, we're going to read this story together. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles if you have one with you. If you don't, there's, a, there's one right in the seat in front of you, and we're going to be on page 1,000. And if you're using a phone or a tablet, we're using the NIV translation, so you can follow on there if you'd like. And again, that's Matthew 28, verse 16. And as we read this, just keep in mind that Matthew is pointing, he's telling the story right at the end of everything that he's written. So he's kind of, this is the culmination of everything that Matthew is telling his, his original audience and now telling us today. And it says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, which means I'm in charge here, 
has been given to me. And then he says, therefore, and anytime we see a therefore in, in, in the Bible, we, are, we should stop and ask, what's it there for? That it typically means that there's going to be a pivot in the, in the phrase here that's going to really point to the, to the specific thing that this, is, that this is getting at. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, go and share with everyone you meet, everywhere, as far as you can reach. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus closes by saying, I'm with you as you do this day after day after day after day after day. I'm not going with you physically. This is right before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And so he's saying, I'm not, I'm not going with you, but my power in the Holy Spirit will be with you. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is now going with his followers. It goes with us as we take this message to the whole world. So wrapped into all of this are the three reasons that your story matters. The three reasons your story matters. Your story matters because of God's promise. Your story matters because of God's plan. And your story matters because of God's provision. It means that Wherever you are on your journey, there is a step to be taken because of God's promise, because of his plan, and because of his provision. Matthew wants us to see that this whole thing starts with God's promise. And it's not just in the book of Matthew. He's again pointing to this bigger, broader story that, that begins way back in Genesis is the first telling of, of, of where God's journey with his people begins. And Matthew is trying to stretch out everything that he's writing to connect it to this bigger story. So the first thing he points to is that your story matters because of God's promise. So from the get-go, this has been about God and his creation doing something together. From the get-go, this has been about God and his creation doing something together. And we see this in Adam and Eve. That God creates Adam and there's instantly this relationship between God and his creation. And then God creates Eve and there's this incredible bond between Adam and Eve, but there's still this profound connection between the two of them and their creator. And Adam and Eve are faced with this temptation to follow darkness or to hold on to the blessing of light that's been given them. And we know what happens. We know that they choose the temptation. They fall to the temptation of darkness and it breaks everything. And right from, right from there, God begins doing something new. He sends them out of the garden. And sending them out of the garden was not a part of the original, the original plan. God intended to do something together with his creation. They were intended to be there forever. And now, in this broken state, he knows that they can't be. That we can't just leave creation like this. So he sends them out and begins his rescue plan. And then over the course of, of the story, we see these, these different arrangements and or we call them covenants that God's making with his people and not only are these events that happen but they're telling us something bigger about what God is doing he makes a covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Abraham essentially there's this weird you know uh, thing that they do like a ceremony and what it's saying is it's saying that no matter what happens I God am going to make this right even if you my creation don't hold up your end of the bargain I'm going to make this right. He makes a covenant and a promise with Noah. And then all the way up to the new covenant with Jesus. 
He, un- he unveils this new covenant, this new arrangement with his people that's now going to come in and through Jesus. This is, who Ma- this is what Matthew's pointing us to, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this stuff. This whole story has been pointing to this, to this moment, to the, to, the, to the time that we see what Jesus is doing and what his death and resurrection has to do with God's creation. And we see this unconditional, relational arrangement that is different than any of the other world religions in the world. It's an unconditional, relational arrangement with his people. And it's brought about by God. Matthew's pointing to Jesus to show that Jesus is the guy. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God has made all along. It's not just to save them and us, but to save everybody and to bring it to the whole world, to to reconcile and bring back his entire creation and put the world back in the way that he always intended it to be. And what Jesus then says to you and me is that we are the plan. You take it everywhere across the globe to everyone you meet. You are to make disciples in this way. I'm going to be with you as you go to empower you to do it, but this is going to be done through your words My words through you, your actions, my love through you. In this way, our lives are an integral part of telling God's story. Our lives are an integral part of telling God's story. God's grace in this way is on display as he uses our lives and stories to point to himself, to point to his love, and to point to his story. We are the plan. Your story matters because of God's plan. We are the carriers, and it's always, inten- it's always been intended to be that way. In fact, Jesus is the means by which God's creation is put back in its rightful place as the ones who will carry this story. God's creation, separated from him, is not God's plan. So Jesus becomes the means by which that the story can be told through the people that God always intended it to be told through. He chooses you and me, our families, our successes, our failures, our struggles, all of it to reveal who he is. To see that there's a bigger story going on, that in the midst of the pain, there is hope. In the midst of the success, there's purpose. There's, there's purpose and, and significance throughout everything we experience because of God's power within it. Your life and your story are more than just a random series of events when they're placed in God's hands. Your life and your story are more than just a random series of events when placed in God's hands. And sometimes we see this best through, through the other stories around us. Sometimes it's in movies or books or, or things that happen in life. We certainly see it in the, in, the, in the Bible. But sometimes it jumps off the page when we see parts of this story come about from something else. And you may remember this, but a number of years ago, most of the kids won't remember this, but it's a, it's a good clip anyway. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a movie called Rango that came out. And Rango is about a lizard. And uh, his voice is Johnny Depp. And so as you can imagine, it's a fairly quirky character. And uh, all of Johnny Depp's-ness comes through in Rango. And Rango is a movie about a chameleon who doesn't know who he is or what story he's a part of. He has lived as a sheltered family pet for his whole life. It's his nature to blend in because he's a chameleon. And during a cross-country trek 
the, he falls out of the back of the family station wagon and is lost. He winds up in a desert co- town called Dirt, and as he struggles with his identity crisis, this is where some of the humor begins, he struggles with this identity, identity crisis and he becomes the sheriff of the local town. And there's some unfortunate things that are happening in the town and, and, and Rango soon, soon feels like he's just an imposter. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He recognizes that the people in the town need something more than he can give. And he meets a character in the desert who, uh, who points him in the right direction. Sometimes you gotta dig deep to find what you're looking for. So you made it. Is this heaven? Yeah. If it were, we'd be eating Pop-Tarts with Kim Novak. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. What are you doing out here? Searching, same as you. I don't even know what I'm looking for anymore. I don't even know who I am. They used to call you the man with no name. These days, they got a name for just about everything. Doesn't matter what they call you. It's the deeds make the man. Yeah, but my deeds just made things worse. I'm a fraud. I'm a phony. My friends believed in me, but they need some kind of hero. Then be a hero. Oh, no. No, no. You don't understand. I'm not even supposed to be here. That's right. You came a long way to find something that isn't out here. Don't you see? It's not about you. It's about them. But I can't go back. Don't know that you got a choice, son. No man can walk out on his own story. So Rango meets this character who has a striking resemblance to Clint Eastwood. And who wouldn't be better if they had Clint Eastwood as a coach, right? And so this character tells Rango a few things that are are notable and kind of point us, frankly, as we look at this passage, this clip came to mind because it calls out some things that are bigger than just a movie. It calls out some of the things that are innate to who we are and a part of what God has put inside of us. It's not a, a Christian movie by any means, but I think when we look at, at any story, there are pieces of the bigger story that we can see in the world around us. And, and, and it's one of the things that, that Clint Eastwood's character says to Rango is, it doesn't matter what they call you, it's the deeds that make who you are. And he says, I don't even know who I am. I'm not even supposed to be here. And if we ask for a show of hands, there's a lot of us in the room that at any given time in our life would raise our hands. We're not quite sure if we're in the right spot or if we really know what our purpose is or if we're accomplishing that purpose. And this passage is pointing us to that purpose. 
and go back to the movie, Rango says, that, that I, I'm insignificant. They need a hero. And Clint Eastwood's character says, then be a hero. You can't walk out on your own story. And as we look at, at what God is, has written to us in, in the love letters that he's written to us that are collected in what we call the Bible, all along the way, he is pointing to our purpose. He's pointing to why we, as his creation, have significance. And we have significance because we're his. We have significance because of the story that's inside of us, that's been placed in our hearts by the one who created us. God provides a way for us to follow him, to be transformed by him, and then to bring others with us. God makes a way for us to, to follow him, to be transformed by him, and then to bring others with us. And this is God's provision. He's making a way for this to happen. Your story matters because of God's provision. He makes a way for us to go, and then he tells us what to do when we get there. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to go tell everyone, everywhere, and he tells them to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded them. Now this is cool. Matthew's doing something cool here. He uses the word commanded. It's in the past tense, which means that what he's telling the disciples is something that he's already told them. So there's, there's no new, the only thing new that's happening in the Great Commission is these new instructions to go with what they already know. And one of the sources that I, that I said pointed to something pretty interesting that, that, that suggested that, that perhaps the disciples are standing with Jesus in the same place where he would have taught them what he's now referring to. And so we know, based on this passage, that, that they are standing on a mountain in Galilee. And if you, if you look back and do a search on well, where else did they meet on a mountain near Galilee? Well, one of the other places was, well, you know, the times was when Jesus gave probably his most significant sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, happened on a mountain near Galilee. And the first thing that Matthew records that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount has to do with how we are to live as his followers, and it's his teaching on salt and light. And that's in Matthew 5, and I'll have it up here on the screen for you, but it says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your story in God's hand empowers you to be salt and light wherever you go. So Jesus is, is giving his disciples these, these orders and these instructions, this encouragement, this command to go. But he's telling them not just to go and do whatever, but to go and do what he's already instructed them to do. And I think, I think this at least is one of the things that he's referring to. Go be salt and light. Go change the world by being who you are in me. Salt and light is a command and a promise. It's a command and a promise. Jesus is saying, follow me and together we will go. I will make you, in other words, catching people. Meaning that, that you are equipped to be people who can bring others with you into this bigger story. Jesus is promising us with regarding to light that he is not going to light us up and put us under a bucket. That he will light you up wherever you are. 
in your job, in your school, at the gas station, at the coffee shop, wherever it is that you are, God's light is within you. And it's not something that you manufacture on yourself. It's something that with discipline and diligence, we allow it to happen and allow it to happen through us. He's calling us to do more than just believe in this truth. He is calling us to actually live it out with our lives. That is the sense of obedience here. And the last sign of the Great Commission is that he will be with us day after day after day after day. And that this is truly a co-mission. It's together. God is not saying, if you want me to love you, go do this. That's not how, that's not how God works. That is not the God that we believe in or follow. There are many other gods, other religions want to profess to be real, but they are, they, none of them profess the love and the relationship that our God offers us. This is not a earn this type of command. This is a I love you no matter what. You cannot earn my love this way. I'm giving you this command that I would become more real in you and that my story would become more real in the world and in the people around you. This is my plan to bring the whole world back to me. Your story is essential not only to where you will go, but to actually what you will do. And to the disciples, going would have meant being scattered among the people and nations of the world. And for many of us, it may mean the same. There is a call in here for a multi-ethnic, cross-cultural focus. But God doesn't specify exactly where we are to go, other than to go to the nations. He wants everyone, everywhere, to know his story and to, to, to be reconciled to him. He didn't demand that we all leave home. He simply said, go and make disciples of all nations. So are we to go to a foreign land, to our neighbor, to a friend in the hallway, or on a, somebody on our team, or to somebody in the band, or in the, the cast of the school play? It doesn't say. But we do know that this is a call to action. That this is the part where he, this is the part of our obedience where we are called to live this out. It's not meant to be something that just stays in a package. We know that we're supposed to take this to everyone, everywhere, and that there's something about who we are and what God is doing in us that brings that story to life. We would love to help you take some steps to live this out. If you want to write impact on your communication card, our impact director, Kevin Johnson, will get in touch with you and help you find a local, global, or the combination of the two, something ministering to international populations right here in the Twin Cities. There are tons of opportunities, and Kevin has done an incredible job as our impact director bringing this part of our ministry to life and creating access for us to do precisely what the Great Commission is calling us to do. There are ways to do that right here in our own congregation, serving in Five Oaks kids or Five Oaks students or serving here on the weekend in a variety of different ways, right? Serve on your communication card and we will, we will help you tell your story in the midst of telling God's story to one of the groups of people that we serve right here at Five Oaks. Like this helicopter, our faith and our journey with God is not meant to be left safe in its packaging. Nobody wants that. And we don't want that. Sometimes we will fly gracefully and other times we will crash. But the love of God will put us back together and continue to tell his story 
It is not the condition of the helicopter. It's whether or not it's out of its packaging. When we do this, our faith comes to life in our own journey and in the lives of those around us. And parents, we have the opportunity to do this with our kids as well. In the Eisel house, this happens most regularly at bedtime. There is a, a, a conversation that just seem to come about. And sometimes it comes about because of a world event that they saw on the news and they have a question about. And in those still, small, quiet moments with your kids, you have the opportunity to have a window into their soul of what they really care about. But they don't even know yet that it's a passion that God is, has put in there for something that they will take to the world. For one of our kids right now, it's, it's literacy and this idea of, of how sad it is that there's kids in our world and around us that can't read. And it's a deeper passion to, 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 to go to those who don't, who don't have and, and, and to, to, to minister and to reach. And we have the opportunity as parents to, to call those out, not just as nice sentimental feelings, but as God's mission beginning to take root in the lives and hearts of our kids. And so as you spend time this weekend and in the coming weeks and months, be ready for those opportunities. You don't have to say anything super special or magical. Just something simple like, I think God put that there. I can tell that that's something that you care deeply about. And adults, we can do this with each other. In our small groups and in our relationships with each other, we can call out those things and point to the places where God can be using our stories. And sometimes those will be blind spots for us and we need somebody else in our lives to point out the opportunity that is there and to remind us that our lives are meant to tell God's story. So wherever you are on your journey, as we move into our time of response, we invite you to respond to God this morning. And there's a number of ways that you can do that, both individually and as a family, if your family and your kids are, are in here with you. We have these candle stations up front, and what these are is a prayer station. And you can pray for the people in your lives who are far from God. And, uh, and, and kids and parents, if you want to light these together, the best way to do it is you just tip the small candle on its end and, and take the stick and, and put it in that way. Then the whole stick won't flame up on you, but you can spend some time praying for a neighbor, praying for a family member. In the back corners of the room, you'll find some prayer stations, and one of them is for kneeling, the other one's for sitting and being prayed over. And if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come forward and receive communion, to celebrate not only the fact that God died, or Jesus died and rose so that we could be in relationship with him, but this is also, his resurrection is also the means by which we have this power within us when we invite God to take root in our hearts and in our lives. And if you're not a follower of Christ and, and this morning you, you recognize and start and are beginning to see this bigger story that God's invited you into, we invite you to celebrate communion for the first time. And you just come forward in any order during the first song. Uh, there's no particular order. You can get up whenever you're ready. Just come down and, and, uh, and dip the bread and the juice. And there's some stations in the back as well. Uh, and then return to your seat and, and uh, continue to worship with us. Let's close in prayer.